Father, I thank you for what you want to deposit this morning. And I thank you, God, that your word is full of power. And I thank you, God, that even as we share the vision of the church, something will be ignited, not just at church level, but at a national level. Something will be ignited, not just at a national level, but at an individual level. I thank you that you will speak at different levels, Lord, to your people. So we open ourselves to you to hear what you're saying in this hour. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. It's wonderful to see all your beautiful faces. And uh, it's a privilege to be able to share this message with you this morning. The title of my sermon today is The Apostolic Future of the Church. The Apostolic Future of the Church. You see, I find it very interesting. There's a philosopher called Jean Houston. I don't know if any of you know Jean Houston. But she said something interesting. She said, we are people of the parenthesis. Well, you all did English grammar, right? We are people of the parenthesis at the end of one era, but not quite the beginning of the next one. Maps no longer fit the new territories. In order to make sense of it all, we must cultivate a vision. Now, one of the sad things for me is I believe that this is true. But the sad thing for me is that it's these new ages, it's these people who are visionaries in society today. Those of you who know of Jean Houston, she's uh, sometimes has been known in the past as Hillary Clinton's guru. Okay? Someone who advises the, um, people like Hillary Clinton uh, when she was in the White House uh, with her husband back in the day. And still very involved and very influential in a lot of organizations. So what we're seeing is that in the world, they're saying, guys, we need vision. Guys, we need vision. We need a clear vision for our nation. We need a clear vision for our businesses. And the key question I want to ask us this morning is, what is our vision for the nation? What is our vision for the city of Tswane? What is our vision for Gauteng? Because you see, the true futurists, those who see into the future, those who paint a picture of a preferred future for a nation, should be the Bible-believing Christians. Because we are a prophetic people. We've got access to what God is seeing. And God calls us to be able to see what he sees and then to be, be the ones who decree it into the nations. So my question to you is, what is your vision for the nation? What is your vision for the city? What is this church's story? If you were to say, this is the story of Go Christian Church over the last five and a half years, what would your version of that story be? And then the next question after that is, what would you like our story to be? And I think it's such a privilege that God gives us the opportunity to be able to paint this picture, to be able to fill in the details. Isn't that wonderful? And you see, when I talk about taking charge of your life, you can take charge of your life as an individual. But right now, what God is speaking to us about is, how can we take charge 
of this particular vision? How can we own the vision? How can we come to a place where we actually say, you know what, this is what the Lord has said, I'm going to run with it. The Bible tells us that in the day of His power, the people will be willing. In the day of His power, of God's power, the people will be willing. Some of you have been part of this church for two years. Some of you three years. Some of you six months. But you haven't yet come to a place of willingness. Well, the Bible says in the day of His power, the people will be willing. Question, which vision? God's vision or my own vision? God's vision or Gene Houston's vision? Why do I describe it as the apostolic future of the church? Why apostolic? The word apostle literally means a saint one. When we talk about apostleship or an apostolate, we literally are talking about going and taking over regions. The word apostle is not a religious word. If you look at the Greek people, they were seafaring people. They would get onto ships and they would have an envoy of ships and they would go and they would conquer a region. And Jesus used that term because the term that was used for that envoy of ships with, with its admiral was apostolos in the Greek. And it literally was this group of people who were going to take over a region. And when they would take over a region, they would teach it the culture of the Greeks. Or the culture of the Romans. Does that make sense? And so the Bible tells us that the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. What is that speaking of? If we are to build strong churches in this hour, we can't do it traditionally. We can't have it as business as usual. We have to be thinking with apostolic technology that says, how can we take over? Can I hear an amen? Amen. How can we take over and transform the culture? Your culture is your values, your norms, and your beliefs. Culture is how things are done around here. How do we take the culture of the kingdom of God and transform society with kingdom culture? So what is the apostolic future of the church? How do we get to that place? And I love it when you look at the book of Acts, how these guys were described. It says in Acts chapter 17 verse 6, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. The early church was described as a group of people who had turned the world upside down. If your friends were to speak to you today and they were to talk with you and they were also to talk about you, would they say, oh, yes, no, here comes along, um, yeah, Mutsam Zembe, yeah, he's the guy who's turned the world upside down. Oh, yeah, oh, remember Ivy, yeah, she's the lady who literally um, has transformed Joburg. How is the world describing you? You see, if this was a case of Christians boosting themselves. You know how sometimes as Christians we boost ourselves, right? And saying, yeah, guys, ah, we're changing the world. <laughs> ah, we've turned the world upside down. Then maybe you could doubt it. But here, the people were afraid that, oh, 
the guys have pitched up into our city. These are the guys who've turned the world upside down. This is the place God wants to take us as a church. This has always been the vision. But right now, in this particular year, 2016, something is happening. The Holy Spirit is acting as a catalyst, igniting something in us. That apostolic spirit of taking over. So my question to you is, are we getting the world's attention? Are we getting the world's attention? And let me tell you something. We don't get the world's attention just by what we do in this room here. Let me go into that. So as you are listening this morning, I want to ask you the question, how big is your imagination? As we go through this process, how big is your imagination? Another thing that annoys me is that the new ages are busy teaching people today on creative imagery, how to use your imagination. But how many of you know that the Bible is very clear that God has given us a soul? And how many of you know that part of your soul, it's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions, but it's also your intellect, and it's also your imagination. The Bible talks about the imaginations of their hearts. And that's why often if you're praying for someone who's wounded at an emotional level, part of what you're praying for healing concerning them is healing of the imagination. How many of you know that if we are praying and we're saying, can you believe Jesus for a wonderful husband? And I say that because it's Valentine's Day, right? Can you believe Jesus for a wonderful husband? If you've been abused by men, if you've been wounded by guys, if guys have cheated on you, how many of you know that your imagery in your mind, your imagination will be scarred and will be skewed so it will be difficult to have faith for that particular thing? There's a link between our ability to imagine and our faith. So that's why when you want to encourage people to build their faith, you have to work on the realm of their imagination. You have to work on the realm of what are you seeing? On the 5th of March, as I take you through selling skills, a lot of what I'm going to cover is mindset and mentality. I'm going to sell effectively. Your self-concept is so key. And I'll be saying to you, what can you see? God wants to restore us in the realm of our imagination. My question to you is, how big is your imagination? When Jesus spoke about the ecclesia, the church, he says that I'm building my church. He says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus had a big vision for his church. Saints, Jesus had a big vision for his church. How big is your vision for this church? You see, when we are visionaries, it's not up to whoever is leading to have the big vision. It's about making that vision stick in the hearts of the people. So that every single person here views things in a big way. I remember pastoring a particular church and a number of the people had come from a very big church. And they came in. And when it came to organizing big events, it was actually quite a pleasure. Because one of the, one of the strengths was they had a big mentality. They were used to organizing big events. And so when we started the, that particular church plant, their mindset was, yes, so we can pull the crowds in. Yes, we can do this. And I saw that as a positive. How big is your vision? How big is your vision? And you see, in order for us to do that, this is my starting point, in order for us to do that, here's how I want to frame it. As I share with you this vision, Please, can I ask every single person in this room, 
Think like a beginner, not an expert. Think like a beginner, not an expert. You see, we've been involved in church for a long time, but God took us through a journey where he said, you know what, you haven't been this way before. How many of you know that to receive the kingdom, Jesus said, you have to receive it like a child. If you look at successful organizations like Google, we all know Google, right? If you Googled how to find a husband in 1998, how many hits do you think you would get? Yeah, no, none, because Google didn't exist then. (laughs) Sorry, I just couldn't help that. The point I'm making is, if you look at an organization like Google, one of their values is intellectual humility. Do you know that one of the marks of a genius is having that childlike sense of awe? If you look at people like Einstein, he had a childlikeness to him, where he was like, you know what, let me just, oh wow, this is awesome. Oh, this is amazing. And that's how we discover things. So can, I, can we agree that concerning the church and concerning where God wants to take the church, let's act like beginners, not experts. Amen? Because if we act like experts, we'll do things how they should have been done two years ago. But God has moved on. Come on now. Okay. I also want to encourage you to have holy dissatisfaction. A holy discontent. A holy sense of, uh-uh, this is not enough. Uh-uh, we can't just have a handful of people getting saved each year. There's a place in God where he takes us to a place of holy discontent. Do you remember how the early church in Jerusalem was very comfortable? And what happened? God had to allow persecution to kick in. And that's how they got off their pews and began to do things. And it says they scattered. But it was through their scattering that more churches were planted. And I believe that after five and a half years, we've become comfortable. How many of you agree with me? We've become comfortable in certain areas. We've become comfortable when it comes to evangelism. We've become comfortable when it comes to outreach. We've become comfortable when it comes to our impact on this nation. And God is saying to us this morning, there's a holy dissatisfaction. A sense of holy discontent that must kick into our inner persons. Right? So that we rise up and do what he's called us to do. Another thing I'm going to ask you to do as I frame this is ask the right questions. Ask the right questions. You see, what happens is that very often in life we think great leaders have all the answers. Great leaders don't have all the answers. Great leaders ask the right questions. I still remember speaking to a particular lady some years ago and I said, you seem like you're a good communicator. She says, I don't know if I'm a good communicator, Paul, but what I do know is I can ask questions that get to the heart of the matter. And I thought to myself... That's more noble. That's more noble. You see, when we start asking the right questions, for example, instead of asking, Lord, why haven't we grown as much as we want to have grown? Maybe we should be asking, Lord, what would you have me do in order to grow this church? Ask the right question. Instead of asking the question, oh, Lord, you know, like, you know, the pastors I've observed, they seem to do a lot and they're all working in these jobs and so on. You know, this isn't good, you know, they, they should be releasing people. Maybe the right question to be asking is, Lord, what's my part in all of this? Lord, how should I initiate the conversation to get more involved in what's going on? Amen. Let's ask the right questions in this hour. 
You see, when you ask the right questions, you're able to define the problem. How many of you know that when you define the problem, you end up influencing the, when you define the diagnosis properly, you end up influencing the solution. How many of you had an experience where you've lost loved ones, not because the doctors couldn't treat them, but that there was a misdiagnosis? What's happening today in a lot of hospitals today isn't to do with the medical practice or medical system. It's because of incorrect diagnosis. How many of you have been in a situation where you lose a loved one and then they say, oh yeah, but the first three months they were actually giving them the wrong treatment. And they're giving them the wrong treatment because they've misdiagnosed what the problem was. And I believe that we're in a season where we need to identify the real problem. Not just come up with all sorts of solutions. Not just taking cookie-cut things and say, oh, at this church they did such and such, so we're going to do it in our church. So what is the problem? We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. How are we going to get there? That's what we're going to talk about. How are we going to get to this place where we become this church that's transforming society? How are we going to get to this place where we become this church that's turning the world upside down? I'm blown away when I look at what's going on because I see at an individual level how many of you in this church are really influencing in a great way. People here in this church, and I know a lot of your stories, where you'll hear someone saying like, oh, this is how God has used me in this particular industry. Oh, this very important person in cabinet or whatever it is is asking for my input, asking for my advice. So we're seeing it happening at the individual level. But my question to you this morning is at a corporate level, are we doing it? Turning the world upside down. So how are we going to get there? We're going to get there by understanding five key things. Number one, we are getting bigger from the inside out. That's what's going to be happening this year. We are getting bigger from the inside out. The way the kingdom of God expands and advances is from internal to external. We will not be able to change this nation if we ourselves are not changed from the inside out. We will not be able to see this nation transformed if we ourselves from the inside out are not transformed. So what will it look like? I'll tell you what it will look like. It will look like big visions in our hearts and in our imagination. What are you dreaming? I'll tell you what it will look like. It will look like big faith. And I believe one of the things we, that's going to happen as we go through the school of faith, which is our next series, God is going to be doing amazing things. People will be starting businesses. I'm saying it as a decree. People will be starting new businesses because of their level of faith. We'll be praying audacious prayers. More people will be coming to prayer meetings like what started to happen this year. And we'll be praying audacious prayers. Bold prayers. Prayers where we are announcing the impossible and we are seeing it taking place. You see, sometimes what happens to the church is the spirit of unbelief kicks in. And you say to someone, what am I believing you with you for? What are we agreeing for? You know that often when people come up for prayer, often I have to agree with where they're at. So I say, and Jesus did that. What do you want, Bartimaeus? And Bartimaeus could have said, I just, I just want 
to be better positioned and I want people to stop teasing me. He could have said that, but he says, I want to see. He was audacious. Jesus was already on his way out of town. People were saying, this is the, the great rabbi, the great teacher. Please, Bartimaeus, keep quiet. It says, he shouted Amen. even louder. Amen. I believe that we're going to be praying fervent prayers in this church. God is praying us from the inside out. Amen. What are you believing him for? Amen. You see, what happens is a lot of people have unbelief. But they're still your professional Christians. They still come to church. They still dance along. They still make the declarations. But if you trace their walk, they used to make audacious prayers, bold prayers, prayers full of faith, faith-filled prayers. But nowadays, what is your prayer life like? Lord, please just help me survive. Lord, I just need to cope. That's all I'm asking for. It's very subtle. I believe that as God transforms us from the inside out, we're going to have big love. We're going to have big love. How many of you know that perfect love dries out fear? How many of you know that sometimes we struggle with evangelism because we're afraid of people? But how many of you know that if you love people, the love casts out the fear? When my wife came for band practice, I think it was on Friday evening, she was really grieved. She shared with me she was really grieved because she saw these youngsters uh, about 18 years of age or so. And then with an X5, I think it was BMW. I don't know why that's significant, but I'm telling you, just so you know, kids of today, maybe the more cash they've got, the more they do dubious stuff, right? I think it was an X5 BMW, and they're there, and they're buying alcohol from uh, the bottle store over here. And this was a Friday night. And her heart, just um, that mother's mother heart, just oozed out of her. And she was so grieved, saying, what's happening? What's happening to the kids of today? But that love, that compassion, uncharacteristically, because this isn't really her personality type, caused her to go to that X5 and basically say, boys, guys, I'm really hoping that you're not going to be drinking and driving. Yeah. Right? And she spoke to them with boldness. How many of you know that love gives you boldness? Amen. How many of you know that a lot of us don't have an issue with boldness? Our issue is love. Amen. I believe that God is shifting us from the inside out. He's doing something on our insides. How many of you have ever come to a, an Ignite and you've left the Ignite? Those who don't know, Ignite is our time of extended worship and prayer. Happens every last Friday of the month. Last Friday of every month. Okay? It happens. How many of you have come out transformed? Where you feel like, I don't know what happened, but something in my inside happened. Okay? You see, God is taking us to a place where he's saying, I want to enlarge your tent pegs, stretch out your tent pegs. I want to grow you, but he's going to do it from the inside out. It's not a mechanical thing that will happen from the outside where we're trying to change, you know, behavioral change, where we're trying to change from the outside. He wants to do something internal. We'll be praying like we've never prayed before, but it won't be prayer that is religious. It'll be faith-filled prayers. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that's interesting if you almost think to yourself what is Paul thinking here he is in prison Philippians was written while he was in the in jail in Philippi one of the prison epistles and he's popped off there and he's saying while he's in jail going through what he's going through and he's basically saying, I pray that you guys may abound more and more 
in love, your love may grow. I believe God is taking us to that place. And then from there, he says that you may also grow in knowledge and depth of insight. That's what God is doing this year, saints. He's growing us from the inside out. He's growing us in love. He's growing us in knowledge. He's growing us in insight. That word insight in some translations is the word discernment. Imagine someone praying that for you. And please, can we be praying these scriptures over each other? Imagine someone praying for you that I pray, my sister, that you grow in insight, in discernment, that you're able to distinguish between good and bad, that you're able to see beneath the smiles when you see various people. And then I also pray that you may abound in love because right now you've got people where God is saying, love them, love them, love them because they've hurt you, because they've betrayed you. Not always easy. I was speaking prophetically to you. That was a word for you right now. And he's calling you to love where you've been abandoned. He's saying just still love. Don't get better. Don't get better. He's called you to love. There's tremendous love that you've got. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by His Spirit. That's what He's done. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. I'm seeing that there's a whole lot you've lost in terms of wealth, that you're in one position at a certain point, and there's stuff that you've lost. God says, I'm about to restore it. But trust Him. I'm about to restore it. He's given you that business acumen, that entrepreneurship, that skill, okay? He's given to you. People can try and take away what you had, but guess what? He's the one who's giving you the skill and no one can take it from you. You will just bounce back. Okay, in the New Living Translation it says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. What will that look like? In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, I like this. It says, from, I pray to God the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So God gives us identity. When God grows you from the inside out, one of the first things he gives you is identity. He gives you identity. Where you know who you are and you live that out. And it says that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory. Not according to the state of the economy. Not according to how much cash your parents have. According to the riches of his glory, which is limitless. Last time I checked. To be strengthened with power. Say to the person next to you, power. <laughs> Through his spirit in the inner man. God is growing us this year from the inside out where our inner persons will be empowered. You see, why do people fall? Why do people fall? Why do people backslide? It's because when they start being stressed out, they can't cope anymore with the pressure. How many of you know that God wants to take us to a place where our inside force the force from the inside being exerted onto the outside is stronger than what's outside coming in. But you see, if you're weak in spirit, what happens is you end up overcome. You'll be fine when you're not stressed out. I'm speaking to some people here. You'll be fine when you're not stressed out. But then when the challenges and the trials of life come, you'll crumble because you're not strong in the inside. 
Often when we talk about church vision, people want to know, oh yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to be building the inner man. We're going to be building ourselves from the inside out. The Bible says, build yourself up in the most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. (laughs) In the book of Jude. Okay? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now he's speaking to Christians here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. You know why people have a spirit of abandonment and spirit of rejection on them? You know why people often have strong roots of rejection where they project the rejection they experience and they project it on the whole world outside of them because they're not grounded in love. That's why Jesus says, abide in love. Abide in love. God wants to take us to a place where we are so secure in our knowledge of the love of God for us that we can go anywhere without the fear of rejection because His love is just so, so much. We are more conscious of Him than we are of the people around us. We are secure in Him. He's taking us to that place. So my question to you is, are you taking responsibility for your spiritual growth? What are we going to do with regards to that from our side? The reason why we've converted, rebuilt into an actual book that people can take home and read is so that they get the foundations right. We don't want to teach you just flaky surface stuff and not ground you. That's why we're going to do that. That's why we're going to carry on having the Ignite times of extended worship and pray. Because in those environments we are transformed. That's why we're going to make sure that we keep supplying books and materials. In the next few weeks, I've got a a book coming out on dysfunctional families, moving from dysfunction to functional. It's called Restoring Family Life. I encourage you to get it. It's a small pocketbook. I encourage you to get it because we'll be dealing with woundedness. I've got another one coming out on self-esteem from God's perspective. How can you make sure you've got solid self-image from God's perspective. So on our side, we'll be giving you the tools to make sure that we're solid and we're strong and that we grow from the inside. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Number two, we are becoming a multiplying movement. We are becoming a multiplying movement. If you look here at the church vision, Go is a movement of God-honoring believers. How many of you know that when something becomes a movement, it means it's viral? When something becomes a movement, it cannot be contained by an institution. When something becomes a movement, it's a holy fragrance that literally flows and you can't stop it. It's like, you know, like how you have liquid mercury just going all over the place everywhere. It's a fragrance. How many of that with movements, very often you don't quite know exactly where they started. It's difficult to trace them. And the people who end up being influenced are all over. We're becoming a multiplying movement. And I'll explain to you how that will happen. You see, we've seen pockets of this in the past. There was a time when our business God's Way material first got onto the website. We had people from South America saying, can you come and do a conference here, please, with this topic? We've been blown away by your material. Now, at that stage, we weren't in that season of doing that. That wasn't the season we were in. 
But how many of you know that we've come to that season now? We've come to that season now where some people will be sent out to go to those places because there's a unique message, there's a unique voice that God has given us and we want to be true to it. And that's not a statement of arrogance, it's a statement of agreement with the truth and agreement with the calling of God. And some of you, as I'm saying that, you're saying, me too, me too. I like what they say in The Verge. It's a wonderful book. And they say what we need are missionally responsive, culturally adaptive, organizationally agile multiplication movements. You see, we don't want to be this institution that's static, that can't easily move and change. We want to be like that river that's a new river. You know, you, know, you know how the river is different when it's up there, right? Up on top of the mountain, it's like moving quite quickly. But then when it gets to the mouth, is it the mouth of the river? Come on, those of you who did geography. When it gets to the sea, what's the sea called? When the river meets the sea. Right? Yeah, when it gets to the estuary, what happens? It's very slow. We're not like that. That's why we're called go. Okay? We are agile. We've got quick feet. We're responsive. If it was in business, we'll talk about business at the speed of thought. The weakness of a lot of organizations today is they don't adapt quickly. Yeah. They're not responsive. How many of you know that if you look at the issues that are happening in the nation right now, there's no time for us to say, okay, let's write a book on it so that we can also give our comments so that people hear what the church is saying. Sometimes we literally have to do a video. I, that's what, you know, Tumiso said to me, everyone is talking about racism right now. I think, Paul, one of your video clips that we need to put on social media is to do with overcoming racism. To do with how do we, over, how, how do we overcome racism in this nation? We, we can't wait for years before we develop material to influence. God is calling us to be organizationally agile, to be culturally adaptive. How many of you know that South Africa is a very diverse nation? How do you know that what's going on right now in Centurion and the issues we deal with here in Centurion is not the exact same issues in Timbisa? Yeah. And it's important that we are culturally adaptive so that we address the issues at hand. And I'll explain to you how we're going to do that. We're a multiplying movement. That means if we are going to multiply ourselves, it means every single person has to be part of that process. It means multiplication will be happening at all levels. The church will multiply. Amen. Amen. It means that the different groups, bands, will multiply. We won't just have one band. Amen. Amen. Right? It means that our children's ministry will multiply. It means that small groups will multiply. That's what happens. We're talking about multiplication. And I want to show you that Jesus is into multiplication. You see, what's happening is we are creating exponential systems. The way you grow exponentially is through multiplication, not addition. So it might have taken us a few years to pour into people and to get a strong DNA where it's distinct that this is what Go Christian Church is about. But I believe that we've now come to a time where it's very clear what we believe and why, what we don't believe and why. And now we're at a stage where this thing needs to multiply. Are you going to come along with me and reimagine the church apostolically? 
You see, because if we're not discerning the times, what will happen is we are going this way and we're reimagining the church apostolically. But then you could be in the church and you'd be reimagining it pastorally. And then there's conflict. There's a difference. See, when you're imagining the church pastorally, what you'll be saying is, yeah, no, oh, but then what about so-and-so? Oh, no, 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 but we can't grow in this area because so-and-so will feel left out. Oh, no. How many of you know that it wasn't comfortable when the church was persecuted, the church of Jerusalem? But the result was that many people got saved in the process. God is more interested in our character than our comfort. Mark chapter 6. Verse 34 to 42. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them. That's the love. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I believe that we're in that season right now. When Jesus is looking at Hauteng, Hauteng, he's looking and he feels compassion for the crowds that he sees. I often feel it. I walk through a mall. And sometimes I start crying. I'm grieving because I'm seeing all these people. I'm thinking, how many of them are saved? How many of them are saved? Buying things at Christmas. The greed. But what's their eternal destiny? Jesus looked and he sees this crowd. And he says he felt compassion for them. As we become a multiplying movement, the starting point is compassion. And he says he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. People aren't going to church anymore. And some people who come to church are still like sheep without shepherd. Without a shepherd. Because you can attend a church but still not be shepherded. I didn't hear someone saying, go there Paul, go there. And he began to teach them many things. Isn't that beautiful? He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what is his solution? Let me teach them. God is taking us to a place where we're multiplying movement that is teaching the nation. We, have, we do it from a place of compassion, not from a place of self-righteousness. Jesus was compassionate. These guys are like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. There are a lot of teachers here. How many teachers? How many of you have got a teaching gift? How many of you are passionate about teaching? Okay, more hands are going up. Okay. I'm not too sure about the teaching gift, but I am passionate about teaching. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. All right. He began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late. Now I wonder what your response would be here. His disciples came and said, These are those people who are very organized, prim and proper. You know? It's getting quite late. You know, we've gone over time, Jesus. <laughs> Come on now. We've gone over time. Right? And it says. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. And it was already quite late, like he didn't know. Uh, Paul, you've gone over. Like I don't know I've gone over. Okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. This place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus had compassion. The disciples, I don't know. Get them to buy themselves something to eat. Boundaries. Let's exercise boundaries, guys. The guys must sort themselves out. Okay? It's quite noble. We do it a lot. Verse 37. But he answered them. You give them something to eat. 
That's a very powerful statement here. Because right now in this city, why do we need to be a multiplying movement? Because right now in this city, we might be saying, but there's only a handful of us here. But if we send too many people out, who will remain to usher? Jesus is saying, you give them something to eat. But the disciples are like, we ain't got nothing. You see, very often God calls us, but we look at our current resources and we can't see anything. And we use that as an excuse to not step out. But I believe that Jesus is a multiplier. But you see, he doesn't just multiply. He multiplies when we are responsive to be used by him. He works with us in the miracle. Who did this miracle? Was it Jesus doing the miracle or was it the disciples? Because when you look at the bread and and when you look at the loaves and you look at the fishes, they were in the hands of the disciples. What's in your hand right now? Because Jesus wants to multiply it. Because we're a multiplying movement. Look at this. He says, you give them something to eat. What are you seeing? The disciples, in terms of resources, they're just seeing that, you know what, we need to send these people away because they need to go over there to find food. And Jesus says, you give them something. Because Jesus was seeing something that they weren't seeing. Maybe in a space right now where you're like, Pastor, can we just invite people so that you can preach to them and they may get saved. But when you're a multiplying movement, you are going out and you're preaching to the lost and you're bringing them already saved. You see, with invitational evangelism, we rely heavily on the so-called man of God, the hired holy man from the north to do everything. Pastor, I'm bringing the sick so you can pray for them. Yes, there's a place for that. But you know what the ultimate is? When you're a multiplying movement, you learn how to pray for the sick. And we come and we come to church and we hear the testimonies. And, oh, I was at work and this person's ear was open. So Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You teach them. Pastor, can you come to my workplace and teach us about faith? You teach them about faith. You know it. Is there a place for so-called ministers of the gospel to go and to do things? Of course there's a place. But the primary function of the fivefold ministry apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers is to equip the saints, Ephesians 4 verse 11 to do the work of the ministry question, how much ministry are you doing? in a multiplying movement people are equipped to do the work you give them something to eat and they said to him shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? can you see these are the administrators Jesus Are we going to spend that amount to give them to eat? They had limited themselves to their own logic. Jesus was operating at another level. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? But but Pastor Paul, I've never taught people before. I'm fine, yes, with my team at work, but this is church. I know some of you are like that. You're very confident with your teams at work. And we ask you to teach something at church. So, yeah, church, the, the dynamic at church is different. 
loaves do you have? What do you have? And I might say to you, you know what? Let's have a look at the notes you've taken over the last three years in terms of sermon notes. What do you have? You've got a message there. All those notes you were taking, why were you taking those notes? How many loaves do you have? Go look. When you're a multiplying movement, you look and you see what you've got. And you work with what you've got. Because Jesus multiplies it. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. I find it interesting that the way this miracle took place, they had to be organized. If we want to be in multiplying movement, we also need to be organized. We also need to know, who are we teaching out there? What's the demographics of those people we're teaching out there? If we want to do outreaches, if we want to do seminars in the different places, somewhere along the line, we need to look at our database. We need to look at the demographics of the province, the demographics of the nation, the demographics of the nations around us, and sit the, sit the people down. It's not like there was just this massive crowd and they just did things willy-nilly. It says they sat them down in groups. How many of you know that to be pastored effectively in a church, we have to be quite organized? That's why we've got small groups. That's why we've got zone pastors. We have to be quite organized. So that we know which part of the flock is being cared for and which part is not. And it says here that he got them to sit. It says he commanded all of them. How many of you that Jesus often taught by command? People don't like commands. Nowadays, if a pastor gives some kind of command saying, this is the way we're going, this is how we do it, people see it as abusive. It's not, it's not necessarily abusive. You have to look at the intent. Jesus commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And the people obeyed. And then they were fed. Not before that. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Then they were fed. Someone isn't getting this, but someone is. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. That's organization then. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them and he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Jesus is a multiplier. Please say to the person next to you, Jesus is a multiplier. Let me show you how this also manifests. In John chapter 21, verse 5 to 7, it says, So Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? You do not have any fish, do you? Okay, these were the fishermen, the disciples. They had gone back to fishing. Jesus observed this. They answered him, No. Whenever Jesus asks you a question like that, it's important to acknowledge the reality so that he can help you. So that you can multiply. The multiplication happens when we're honest with ourselves that I ain't got nothing. I don't have anything. Things aren't working out. But if in your own self-righteousness you keep making excuses, no, it's okay. No, I'm fine. No, I'm just pushing along. Jesus hasn't got anything to work with. And I find it interesting because 
They answered him, no. And he said to them, and he's saying it to you this morning, cast the net on the right side of the boat. That's what we're going to be doing as a ministry. We've been casting the net on one side, trying to do certain things. And now Jesus is saying to us, cast the net on the right side. What does that look like? We're going to go where the life is. In the course of these last few years, I've been to various places. I've been to certain townships, been so well received. And I'm saying, I'm going to start casting my net on that side. Yeah. <laughs> the power of the, just pointing to the ear. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I love the response. Okay. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. Lord spoke to us concerning this. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, this is obviously the Gospel of John, right? Okay. <laughs> Therefore, that disciple who Jesus loved, John, okay, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Why? They knew it was characteristic of Jesus to do that kind of thing. And what I'm saying is this year, 2016, Go Christian Church, the Lord has been saying to us, cast your nets onto the other side. You will find the catch and it is the Lord. That's how he operates. For some of you, that applies to you in your businesses. You've been moving in one direction and the Lord, and things haven't been working out. The Lord says, just cast your nets onto the other side. Watch the space. Can I hear an amen? amen. Okay. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. He was excited about what Jesus was about to do. So my question to you is, are you open to change? Are you open to change? I like what Harold Wilson said. How many of you remember Harold Wilson? Come on, history, prime minister, Britain, right? Harold Wilson, he said, he who rejects change is the architect of decay. Please, I'm announcing that in this church, there will be some changes, good changes. But I know that some people will resist change even when the change is good. Okay? But he who rejects change is the architect of decay. The only human institution which rejects progress is the cemetery. The only human institution which rejects progress is the cemetery. Can I, can I have a witness right now that... We are a going church. Yes. We are going places. So if you want to come with, then let's go. Because we're go. That name go wasn't just like some funky thing. It was one of the few times I've heard an inaudible voice. In 2008, I was saying, Lord, what are we going to call the ministry? Inaudible voice, go. Now maybe he was just meaning, Paul, just go and do it. Okay, but I'm assuming I'd like to believe he was answering my question because I specifically said, Lord, what should we call it? And as is my custom, I went to my wife and I said, This is what I heard, and she was in agreement with me, no questions. Amen? Amen. And I think there was a reason we got that name. So if we're gonna expand and if we're gonna be enlarged, it's gonna mean multiplication. It's going to mean leadership multiplication. It's going to mean prayer meeting multiplication. It's going to mean go group multiplication. It's going to mean volunteer multiplication. The mark of a great leader is seen in his or her ability to raise up other leaders. So what is it going to look like? 
How many of you know that there are certain people who cannot come here on Sundays? Often if I'm doing workshops in various places, corporate things and so on, people say, so have you got a branch here? They assume we've got many branches. So, so where are your other branches? Oh, I thought you had many branches. I always, I always have to say, no, at the moment we're just in Centurion. But that's going to change in 2016. And we're going to start out with outreaches to various places. And some of those outreaches might remain as outreaches. I can't make promises. But some of those will be congregations. And it'll be one church, many congregations. You understand that, right? I find myself in situations, doing workshops and so on. And the moment I say we're in Centurion, if people are out in the East Rand, if people are in places in Johannesburg, Psychologically, they're not like the Muzembes or the Shambares over here who will trek all the way. And they're like, uh, oh, okay. I try and send them to other churches and other places that are pastored by friends of mine, but they would have connected with me. Yeah. I'm sure some of you experienced that. They would have connected with you. So we're going to begin to do specific outreaches into various places. One of the places we're going to be doing outreaches into is Ivory Park. Just here, just over here. How many of you know Ivory Park? Right? This, this end of Tempisa. How many of you know Ivory Park? Anyone live there? Okay? I know Patrick does. Okay, but we're going to do outreaches there. We've already got a venue. We've already got a venue that's very reasonable in terms of the cash and so on. I've already spoken to people saying, can you help with interpretation? Because for some of the things we'll use interpreters, for some of the other things we'll just speak in English. Okay? We'll be doing it in different ways. Right? But the way we'll be a multiplying movement or a multiplied movement is we're going to be very pragmatic in what we'll be doing in the various places. Okay? There are a number of things being birthed in our compassion ministry. Right? So we'll be taking what we're doing, working with child-headed households, for example, and feeding them. But at the same time, also coming with the gospel so it'll be holistic. Does that make sense? With our outreaches, what we want to do in terms of reaching women, for example, in the month of August, it's Women's Month and so on, we also want to translate that into some of the women's seminars that we do. I'm saying to myself, I keep being invited to do women's conferences in August. Okay, speaking at the Secretary's Day thing, speaking at this thing, why can't we mix that in with the gospel in terms of what we do? Okay? So we'll be doing that. It'll be very practical. We'll have an integrated model, and I'll talk about that just now. Okay, so one of the places definitely will be Ivory Park. Reaching that particular community there. How many of you are feeling me on that one? Okay. People, I'm going to spend a whole lot of money, taxi money, bus money to come out here. Okay. We've got various endeavors that we want to do in various other places. Some of the business seminars that we've been doing here on, on certain Saturdays, we want to say, let's start doing them in Johannesburg and let's see what happens. Our Jehovah guides will host those particular events. We'll go in, we'll speak, we'll empower people, but we'll be using it to reach the people in Johannesburg. And then we'll see what happens. Does that make sense? You see, it's important for us to understand when you speak to some of these guys who come come from afar, they'll say, you know what, it's fine for Sundays. And then they'll make an effort midweek to come to various things. But they're like, it's also tough for us because we want to invite people to our house, but it's a mission for people to get there. Okay? It's a mission for people to get there. So we want to create communities. We want to multiply ourselves into different areas within Houting and without and beyond. There's work we're doing. 
I'm tired. I don't want to just go and travel up Africa for the sake of traveling up, up Africa. Okay? At a certain point, God is going to speak to us. The key words he gave me when this church started was, I'm opening doors of teaching for you and Tracy. Again, it was an inaudible voice. A voice I was actually hearing. I'm opening doors of teaching for you and Tracy. You will plant a church. Your primary sphere will be the continent of Africa. Those three things. And I have to stay true to that. Now, how do you become a multiplying movement? Well, there has to also be a shift in terms of how the leadership is structured, not so? Because all these churches are going to need lead pastors. So we'll be installing lead pastors into various congregations, into the various churches. We'll be installing lead pastors there. I'll still be senior pastor, but we'll be installing lead pastors for the various congregations. We'll be swapping pulpits. So we'll still be experiencing the benefits of the different leaders that we have. Okay? Or might have in the future. There are people who are going to join in specifically because God has called them to be part of that particular web. Does that make sense? And that's how we're going to grow. My primary gift isn't pastoral. I just want to say that. I've got a shepherd's heart. My, my primary gift is more apostolic. Okay? So, so the way I'm wired is to be a catalytic church planter. That's what I've always done. That's what I do. I'll go, raise up leaders, teach people, and be establishing churches. Does that make sense? And installing pastors in place and going around and teaching in the various places. Okay? Just wanted to give you guys a picture of what that looks like. Is that exciting? Okay. So when you see these things being rolled out, if you end up saying, "Ah, but I didn't know, it means you weren't here today. (laughs) So please speak to your friends so that you're not shocked. This is what we've always done and it's what we'll always be doing. Amen? Amen. It's not by accident that we have people. There are people we've worked with in the past and we see them coming back. There'll be people who've left the church who are going to come back, by the way. I say that as a decree. So nice to see you, Lise. Such a precious guy. Okay. For those who don't know Lise, he's a bassist. Very good bassist. Number three. Are you comfortable with the multiplying? Okay. I'm going to feel that when we do outreaches in Ivory Park, we're going to need musicians there. We're going to need singers there. Multiplication. Number three, we have to embrace leaderships. Yes, leaderships. A shift in leadership. We have to embrace that. What does that involve? It's going to involve identifying leaders cultivating leaders, empowering leaders, and deploying leaders. Identifying, cultivating, empowering, and deploying. The reason we did solar was to equip people so that when we then say, yes, can we send you out to do this? There is a group of people that are empowered to do so. We don't want to just sit learning and get fat. Part of leadership development is not just training people into leadership. It's also deploying people into leadership. What does deployment look like? Deploying people into leadership is creating platforms for people to lead. And there's some of you where the time now you should be teaching people. Come and speak to us and I promise you there are lots of platforms for that. Don't just think in terms of Sunday service or preaching. There are lots of platforms for that. We have ministers of the gospel here in our midst. I'm seeing them in front of me. The Master Cecilia is over here. Such a pastoral heart. 
It's like when God thought, like, let me put shepherd's hearts into people. He gave you a quadruple portion. Strong teachers of the word here. You know that it's not normal to find that in one church. I've got pastor friends of mine who say, can you come and preach for me? There's no one strong enough in my church to do it. Please, can you come and preach? Churches that have been running for a number of years. But whenever we started works, we find that strong teachers, preachers, gather around. And some of you are undiscovered. You haven't yet told us. You're waiting for us to identify you. I know, I can see some of the smiles. Ah, they don't know about me yet. <laughs> How will we know? Acts chapter 6, verse 2 to 8. We see a powerful leader shift taking place here. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That was not a statement of arrogance. It was a statement of calling. I've been through a journey in my life where I see some of the things I get caught up doing. And I'm now saying to myself, it's not right that I'm doing that. I need to be released to do what God has called me to do. So that other people are released to do what God has called them to do. I want to see the Lanstons preaching in the community and in the townships. He's a missionary. That's his heart. He's got a missionary heart. People with a missionary heart are people who love speaking to other cultural groups and reaching them with the gospel, with evangelism. He's done lots of work in that area. I'm seeing people here where there's this fire burning inside of you. It's time you're raised up to do that particular thing. And this is a place for it. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Sometimes when I have a day free, I sit down and I find myself accomplishing so much in terms of developing books, developing material. And I keep saying to my wife, I think this is what we're called to do. I think this is what we're called to do. If I could just spend time, if I could just spend my days developing material, going and strengthening pastors, Oh, I'll be so happy. When I can sit down with pastors in Joburg and so on, when I sit down with them, they ask for my input, they ask for my advice. Oh, I just come alive. But in order for me to do that, there are others who have to step up to the plate. I don't know where we get that saying from. What a plate has to do with stepping up. I don't know. Now watch this. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We're getting big on the inside. And as we select people, it will be based on how big are you on the inside. Are you full of the spirit and wisdom? Do you remember the prayer? The prayer was, be strengthened in your inner man by the spirit. Be strengthened in insight. Be strengthened in wisdom. Be strengthened in love. Let love abound. And those are the people you then pick. And it says here, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. 
They chose Stephen, a man full of... Can you see? He was big on the inside. And later on, if you, if you look at verse 8 and verse 9, it talks about how Stephen was doing great wonders and miracles. He wasn't one of the apostles, but he was doing great wonders and miracles. Isn't that amazing? Now look at the result of it. They chose all these guys, and it says in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. We're going to be raising up appointed servants to do various things. We will pray for you. We will lay hands on you. And look at the result. It says, so the word of God spread. Now I didn't say this when the apostles were waiting on tables. But when they were freed up to focus on prayer. Come on now, there's something that happens when apostolic people pray. When they were focused on prayer and the word, and they gave themselves to that ministry of the word and prayer. Look what happens. It says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Some translations say multiplied. Not were added. Multiplied. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Imagine we have a whole lot of people who are very traditional in their mindset, some of them not born again, some Dominies, becoming obedient to the faith. Churches will be established. There will be a multiplication that will happen, saints. People will get released into their ministry gifts. And I would like to see from this year onwards, full-time missionaries being released. People who are freed up and there's finances for them and are freed up to dedicate themselves full-time to some of the things that we're talking about. Number four, we will transform society. We will transform society. Can you see that we had a strong emphasis on making disciples? We've done a lot in terms of building families. We've done a lot in terms of releasing leaders. This year we really want to focus on transforming society. We'll release leaders and be transforming society. You see, we want to partner with the community at an integrated level. What do I mean by that? How many of you have ever done, those of you in business, how many of you have a relationship with some of your clients where they just ask you for something and then you give it to them. So it's a very transactional relationship. But I'm going to that there's another level you can get to with your clients where they cooperate with you. Right? They say, how can we make this better for you? How can we do this? Right? But I'm going there's another level of interdependence where you now depend on each other. They depend on you because maybe you're the sole provider of a particular product. And you depend on them for certain cash. So there's interdependency. But I believe that it's a, it's a higher level when you are integrated with that organization. When you're literally a part of that organization. When they see you as an extension of it. I've had situations where people are like, Paul, can you also come to our three days away? I'm like, I'm a family man, I can't come to your three days away. Paul, can you come and sit in our board meeting, our particular meeting with our exco? Right? We want you to be a part of it. What was happening? As I observed that, I saw that I was becoming part of the furniture. They weren't seeing me as an outsider. They were seeing me as part of. I believe that's where God is taking us as we transform society. We're going to be partnering 
with certain organizations in the community, they will be inviting us to, to certain meetings and saying, what's your input? Members of this church will be sitting on some of those boards as part of those organizations where the church gets integrated into what some of these people are doing. Where they will say, we cannot make any decisions without you being present. We're going to shift the date of the particular meeting. How many of you know that we're not a church that's against the community? We're a church that's for the community. We're not like the community because we're not of this world, but we are for the community. We're not those Christians who sit on their pedestal judging and criticizing with those who are coming to serve. And I believe that more and more people here from this church are going to be part of these institutions and making a difference. And we'll be talking more about that as the year goes by. There's a guy called uh, Vishal Mangalwadi, and he says something interesting in his book, Truth and Transformation. He says, proclaiming Jesus as the king of heaven does not generally result in persecution. Why are you proclaiming Jesus king of heaven? Ah, as long as you stay up there in heaven, that's fine. He says, but when we start proclaiming Jesus as the ruler of the kings of the earth, we invite trouble. Because then we automatically judge the world around us by the yardstick of his justice and righteousness and demand that his will ought to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is taking us to that place. God is taking us to that place where people will be waiting before they make decisions say, what does the church say about this? We'll be writing position papers. We'll be writing books that will become the blueprint of how things are done. I believe that the book I did um, on kingdom business, my, my prayer, an audacious prayer, is that it ends up being used for entrepreneurial development in this country, where people begin to see that, wait a minute, this is how we can do business. Let's do it God's way. We'll be identifying leaders here amongst us who will be leading in those power centers. And we'll be saying, okay, you're representing us on the legal issues. What's happening? We'll be asking for your opinion when we see legal matters coming through in the nation. And you'll be there educating us on that if you're a legal person. That's what will be happening. Jesus changed the social fabric and culture in society, didn't he? Think about it. Church or the temple or religion was led by self-righteous, narcissistic Pharisees. Jesus changed that into shepherd hearts, shepherd-hearted apostles. Wherever the gospel was preached, women experienced liberties. If you study the nations that were exposed to the gospel, women were exposed to liberty and were freed. Children, the same thing. We want to do the same. The church needs to be the answer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. That's what we'll be doing this year. Spreading the aroma of Him everywhere. What will that look like? It will look like this. We'll be on social media. We'll be on social media. You can be a small church that influence thousands of people via social media. We're going to up things concerning that. Because that's, that's where the world is going. 
I was talking about it with Michael earlier on. We were showing you this guy from Zim who started a church in Joburg. It's only about a year old. But if you look at the amount of tweets, the amount of things he's posting up, the amount of followers he has, just via social media, it's, it's mind-boggling. And you see his clips and you can see it's a small church there where they're doing their thing, but they're influencing many people. The Bible tells us that the church at Ephesus, with the work that Paul did, it says that the word of God spread everywhere from there, from the whole of Tyrannus, right into the whole province of Asia. What fragrance is in you right now that needs to spread so that the world hears it? It was quite exciting the last few days that um, one of my books is now on Amazon and more and more are going up on Amazon. We've started with Conversing, the marriage book, and we're going to be doing more and more. And I'm believing God, if you can believe God with me, that many people will get access to some of the stuff that's coming out of here. Okay? You can go and look it up. Just go Conversing on Amazon and you'll see it there, that blue book with the white couple together. And I'm saying the white couple because there was someone who I gave the book to Why did you choose the white couple? It's marketing, hey, it's marketing. I didn't really give it that much thought. Okay, it just happened to be a white couple. Okay, if you think you're good looking and you want to pose for the cover of my book and you think it'll sell more because of you guys, then come up there, a number of couples here, okay? And we'll take a snapshot of you. <laughs> All right? So what will happen is that we're going to be studying God's plan for the power centers, for the different domains of society, government, legal, agriculture, health science and technology. We're going to be studying God's plan for them. We're going to be identifying the leaders of these power centers and we will recognize you as such, right? We're going to be using social media and mastering it. Who wants to be a part of that? Who's, who, who, who naturally tweets here? Who naturally puts stuff up on Facebook a lot and so on? Use it for the kingdom, not for showing off. Come on. All right? We're going to be mission-minded. We're going to be writing books and papers. We're going to be speaking on radio. My wife has already been doing this, right? Thousands of people listening to and so on. Speaking on radio. And we're in the process of becoming key opinion leaders in certain areas. That's what God has called us to. Okay? I like what Roger Van Oak says. says, it's easy to come up with new ideas. The hard part is letting go of what worked for you two years ago but will soon be out of date. That's the hard part. And we're saying we're going to let go. Then finally, number five, we'll become spiritual parents. We don't want to just instruct people, but we want to parent people. How many of you know that the root of sin very often is fatherlessness? Fathers bring identity. And I believe that we're going on a journey from mentorship to fathering. Miles Monroe in his book, The Fatherhood Principle, says, A nation can be sustained, nurtured, and protected only when men are fathers, like the Heavenly Father. A male can do nothing greater than fathering. He can earn a million dollars, but if he fails to fulfill God's calling upon him to father as God fathers, then he is a failure. God is calling us to spiritual parenting. They'll be mothering and they'll be fathering. And one of the ways that will manifest is in our gender-specific ministries. So we'll have a very strong women's ministry. And we'll keep building on that and supporting that. We'll have a very strong men's ministry. We'll have a very strong couples ministry. We used to have lots of couples breakfast and that kind of thing. There's a lot of fathering and spiritual parenting that happens in those contexts. 
The camp that's coming up is very key. We want to raise up men to be fathers. But we want to raise up people who aren't just pastors, but are spiritual fathers. How many of you know that when we talk about spiritual fathering, we're talking about quite a number of things. We're talking about being a progenitor. That's someone who sustains the next generations. We're talking about being a source, sustainer, nourisher, protector, teacher, disciplinarian. Hello? That belongs to church. That's fathering. People who, people who come up and say, why was so-and-so disciplined this way? Don't understand the concept of fathering. A father who loves disciplines. Okay? A head. A caring one. A developer. And we do it with love. Not with harsh authoritarianism. And I'm going to close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 to 17. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ... Yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. In other words, what he was saying is, you guys had many instructors, but very few fathers. And that's what God is doing. In Titus 2, the Bible tells us, let the older women instruct the younger women. If you're a younger woman here, how many younger women do we have here? Everyone raise their hands. All right. Have you got an older woman in your life that you're sharing your heart with? And saying, this is where I'm at. That's going to happen in the context of gender-specific ministry. It's going to happen in the context of our small groups. Where you know people and you're known. Saints, I apologize, I've gone over. But I'd like us to really pray now. And I'm going to just pray over these points. And then we're going to call it a morning. Can we do that?